Cedars, it is my privilege and honor to bring the word here today on Palm Sunday. And as I've been planning and preparing and studying and praying coming into this morning, we will eventually get to what we know as the triumphal entry, right? What we call there and, and Palm Sunday. But again, for whatever reason this year, uh, my heart has gravitated towards um, examining the life of Jesus and the activities he was engaged in leading up to that moment. Um, I don't know why that's been my heart this year. Um, it's different than, than previous years, but it has been. And so actually what we're going to look at today is what I'm calling um, home, where hearts are revealed. And we're going to glimpse into actually three different houses, if you will, to see some of the, um, some of the realities of who Jesus is coming to life and working through these three households. And uh, we'll see how hearts are challenged and changed and, um, and dealt with throughout this week or throughout these three homes. And then interestingly enough, though it wasn't my plan, um, a subplot to all of these things is going to be twofold. One is going to be salvation. Salvation is going to come through all three households. And then even less aware, um, as I was putting this together, finances. Though it wasn't my heart, finances are going to be even a more subplot, if you will, um, in all three um, homes. And so with that, let me pray, and then we'll get into the scriptures, and we will see what, um, what the Word has for us today. Father, thank you. Thank you that your Word is alive and active, sharper than any sword. God, I pray that, that your words are what touch our heart. God, give me the, the words to speak. Holy Spirit, use me, for I am your servant. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Just some things to set up as we um, get ready to go into this first household, if you will, is that Jesus was in control of the chaos that was going around, right? So we are coming up close to this time of Passover. Jesus was keenly aware that there were plots to take his life. In fact, he had already told his disciples many a time that that was the purpose of him going to Jerusalem this year, that he would die and be resurrected. Though they didn't understand it, he was trying to give them as best a heads up as he could that that was what was going to be taking place. And so that's the purpose of, of what we're looking at here, that he knew the plots. He knew the plans to kill him. He knew the righteous plan, though, of his father for his sacrificial, sacrificial death that was coming. And in the midst of that, he calmly continued to live out the missional call that was his. Right? That in the midst of the chaos, he continued being faithful to why he was here in each of the interactions that he had. And so this first story that I want to have us take a look at um, comes out of Luke. Luke 19, 1 through 10. And, and maybe you're familiar with the story. If you grew up in the church, um, as we go through the story, a song should intuitively just start in the back of your mind about Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. Zacchaeus. This character named Zacchaeus. You see, Jesus has said in, in, in Luke 19.1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. Right? He didn't have it on his itinerary to stop. He was passing through. And there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. 
And he was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. Right? Kind of like a pyramid scheme, right? He probably had or he had tax collectors working under him, and he was the chief, right? It was all trickling up to him, and then he would give to Rome what was needed, but he would continue to um, extort what he wanted through his minions. And he was wealthy. And so that's this person. And Jesus is coming through his town. And it goes on in verse 3, but he wanted to see who Jesus was. But because he was short, he could not see over the crowd, right? And I would dare bet, right, the crowd probably wasn't too fond of him. So as they, I don't know, line the streets and he's trying to poke through, like they're probably just like not letting him in because that's the only way they could probably get back at him, right? It's just like, hey, you don't get to see what we get to see. And he couldn't see. And so what did he do at verse 4? So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way. And it's funny as I was studying this, I kind of picture like Danny DeVito. If we were making this in a movie, like Danny DeVito would be like the perfect character for Zacchaeus. Right? But then here comes this person. He, he can't break through the crowd, and he, but he knows the street. Right? He knows the route Jesus is taking. So he runs ahead and, and, and casts all dignity aside. Doesn't care for, for um, his reputation. And he climbs a tree. So he can see. So he can see Jesus. I don't know if he'd ever heard Jesus preach before. I don't know if he'd ever seen a miracle. But he knew. He knew the word on the street about who Jesus was and is. And he wasn't going to be left out of Jesus walking through. And so he climbed up. Full of desire. Resourceful. He would have been a resourceful person. To find a way to see Jesus. And I think about that. I think that that actually starts to give us some sort of, of glimpse into the heart of Zacchaeus. That there was a desire there to see Jesus. I don't know what that desire fully was at this moment. But he can't, like again, he cast all dignity aside to climb a tree like a kid. To get a glimpse of Jesus coming to town. So there he is up in this tree. Curiosity, at least, in his heart. And when Jesus reached that spot, he looked up to him. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Like amazing, Jesus even knew his name. He says, I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And I don't know, as I was thinking about this during the week, I, I was trying to imagine the disciples. They're like, hey, wait a minute, wait. We're going to his house. No, we, we got a schedule to keep. Remember, we're going through town. We have somewhere to be, right? So if, obviously, if I was one of the disciples, that would have been what I was saying. Hey, Jesus, like, hey, remember, we got a plan. This isn't on the itinerary. Like, get a cup of water, but we got, we got somewhere to be. But Jesus, right? still being faithful to his mission, says, you know what, Zacchaeus, I must. Not even, not even a request. Hey, is it possible? He's inviting himself in. I must go to your house today. And Zacchaeus welcomes him gladly. I don't know if the, 
if his house was clean, if they had food to cook. I don't know what the preparations were. I mean, I don't think Zacchaeus was ready for this. But Jesus, not barging in, but forcefully saying, hey, this is something that has to take place. Let me come over. So he says, yeah, come on in. Wow, the star of the show is going to stop and come to my house. Amazing. And so they go. And then all the people, all the townspeople began to mutter. Right? They didn't hold Zacchaeus in high regard. He would have been an enemy to them. He probably would have had very few friends. And maybe even the friends that he had, maybe the people that worked for him, only were his friends because they got a little kickback. He was probably a lonely person who struggled with with. <laughs> his own sense of self-quarantine because of the decisions he made out of community, unliked, unloved, uncared for. But yet Jesus wants to come to my house? But the people muttered, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. He's going to that guy's house? What is he thinking? Right here, Jesus is a a week from the end of his life, and he's still being faithful to who he's always been, right? How many times have we seen in other stories where the the jab that they throw at Jesus is, oh, he's a friend of sinners, a friend of tax collectors and prostitutes. Like, that's his crown? What What kind of teacher can this be? A friend of sinners. Which is sad because the Pharisees never realized the level of their sin and the friend that Jesus wanted to be to them. They had no idea that the level of sin that they were holding up, thinking that they were self-righteous. You see, Luke, in an earlier chapter, would have told a story about Jesus at the home of a Pharisee when a woman who had a sinful background came in and wept at his feet and dried her tears with her hair. Do you remember that story? Right? And the Pharisee's thinking to himself, if this guy's a teacher, he would know who's touching him. And then Jesus, right? Here's another money thing. He says, hey, I have a story for you. If there were two dudes, paraphrased, right? If there were two dudes that owed a debt, one was great, And one was small. And the guy who was to be receiving this debt eliminated both of them. He says, who who do you think would have loved him greater? And And the Pharisee answers, right, I suppose the one who had the greater debt. And then he says, see this woman, I came into your house. You didn't wash my feet. I came into your house. You didn't give me a drink. I came into your house, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, or what you should have done. But here's this woman. And he says, your sins are forgiven. But he who is forgiven much will love much, and he who is forgiven little will love little. Right? Luke had already covered that story. Now we find ourselves here. He's come to be the guest of a sinner. 
And as I was thinking about that, there was a time in my life with a group of friends that for probably about two or three years in a row, we would gather every Monday night during Monday night football season. Usually it rotated one of three, one of three or four houses. And we would watch the game together. These were my friends. These are my friends. My inner circle at that time. And pretty much all of them didn't know Jesus. And so as we would come together and watch Monday Night Football, um, I would come into their house. There would be activity going on that I would expect of people who are of the world. It would be wrong for us. It would be crazy of us to expect sinners to live by kingdom values if they don't know the, the Savior. And this happened for one season. And then I don't know what happened this next season, right? And I'm there. I'm trying to be a light. I love them. I love football. The second season, I don't know, maybe it was a year of like there was just horrible football games. And it seemed that almost every game by like halftime, it was either over. It was a joke. And um, then they just threw out the idea, hey, let's turn off the TV and let's go to one of the local strip clubs. And I'm like, yeah, you know. I can only shine a light so far, really. Um, so a couple of us would stay, and the rest would go. And, and, and it just seemed like to kind of keep going downhill by then. And, and I, even then, I figured, you know what? I need to bring my buddy in on this, because I need somebody to make sure that, that I stay um, kingdom-focused in the midst of this. So my, uh, my buddy Billy joined me for that year and the next year. But my point is this, Right? Jesus came to reach sinners. I was a sinner. You were a sinner. Sinners sin. What house could Jesus possibly go in that wasn't the home of a sinner? But yet here's this crowd judging, thinking that they're self-righteous. Or maybe because the sin of this one, because he was a traitor collecting taxes from his brothers, giving him to Rome, put him in that category of like, you're the worst. But they go back to this house. And usually it's funny when we see Jesus in a home around a meal, I'm assuming there's a meal here, begins to teach, share a parable, do something of that effect. But before he, he can stand up to speak or... or take the stage, if you will, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Right here and now, I believe something was happening in his heart, in his life. Whatever the conversation was from the road to, the, to his house, something was taking place. And he understood, I believe, grace. And he felt a conviction. And he knew what must be done. And he said, here is a pledge right now. That, and he gave his word. I'm giving half. Half of my wealth to the poor. And if... If since I have cheated so many people, I will give them four times their return, vastly greater than what the law required him to do. In a home, in the midst of the Savior, a heart being changed and repentant and showing that fact by action. 
You see, just a couple chapters before this, if you will, there was another rich dude. We call him the rich young ruler. And in his interaction with Jesus, when it got down to this point, he walked away and rejected Jesus because his wealth was so great. The idols in his life, the things that were more important than the living God Almighty, he was not willing to surrender and walked away sad. But here, another very wealthy person who said, money shmoney. And he laid it down almost at the foot of Jesus, right? And just said, here, here's my kingdom investment plan. Because what you bring to my table is far greater than anything I could ever bring myself. And then Jesus said to him, today, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Right? What what Jesus first was saying was, I must go to your house, has now become salvation, has come to this house. Because you welcomed me in, and the conversation that I dare bet took place, and the repentant action, he could make this declaration today. Salvation has come to Zacchaeus, and I dare bet his household. Today. For this man is a true son of Abraham by faith. Faith that was put in action by what he already started doing. Zach, paying back the people, declaring the money for the poor. Today, salvation has come to this house. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Seek. He went places. He went places on the fringe of society to the outcasts, to the, to the people who had nobody. The people who lived under judgment and fear were kicked out and isolated. To seek, he came. To save the lost, he must. And I think about that. To the home of a sinner, Here you have the the living God holy in the flesh stepping into the tainted world that it is and coming in. A holy God coming into a sinful world? What does it matter what home he goes into? He's already in the home of sin. But he came because he has to go after the hearts of the lost. That's his mission. That's his purpose. That's why he came. So he came to seek and to save all who would say, I do in faith. I receive. And then this scene, we'll we'll end it there. Um, I don't know if you spent the night. I don't know if they had dessert, second helping. I don't know how the next far, the next town or whatever it was, or they packed a to-go bag or whatever it was, but they're done here with mission accomplished, accomplished onto the next town and home. Right, so we leave Luke's story here. Now we turn into a story that comes in that timeline out of John. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. You see, six days before the Passover, right? Now we're getting even closer. Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. And here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. And Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. 
Right? Here he is in a familiar town at some of his best friend's home, having a meal at a familiar table. And, and I, I would think that that would give um, encouragement to him, knowing that just the next week what lies ahead. Here he's, he's having fun with his friends in this home. And then Mary, always so worshipful. She took a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. And she poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of this perfume. The whole house just smelt fragrant. To me, it's like, it's like the flowers of Hawaii when I'm there. There's that scent that I know that... But she took, she took this very expensive perfume and she revealed her heart, a heart of extravagant worship. It had a great personal finance and cost and sacrifice, but it didn't matter for the king. Extravagant worship, reckless abandon, devotional love to her friend and the Savior. And she lavishes it on him. And I think, too, in the midst of this experience was trusting vulnerability that in in front of maybe a couple other people and the 12 and her brother and her sister, she lets down her hair and wipes her feet And that was reserved for a husband. That the woman would have had her hair covered and it would have only been the husband that would have seen that act of devotion and love of a woman's hair being let down. But I I believe somehow she felt vulnerable and trusting enough of the people in that room and the relationship she has with Jesus to be that vulnerable and express her heart. And so she does this. But as she does this, then one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who would later betray him, right? John, looking back, writing into this, is sure to make sure that we know who this is in the story. He objected, right? And if we look at an account that's very similar to this out of the book of Mark, right? There were others that objected, but I think there's only one that objected in the manner that Judas does. And his objection starts to reveal his heart. So why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. But he did not say this because he cared about the poor. But because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to to what was put into it. Right, of course, John writing back into this, he knew this. See, Judas's heart is revealed. He didn't care about the poor. He cared about his own pocket. And I don't know if he was hoarding it up for another day or if he thought, you know, when this kingdom comes in, if it's going to come in earthly, I'm going to come in with a little bit of cash to bring with it. Or maybe it was his backup plan that if this thing all goes south, I'll have a little bit of kitty to, to run away with and, and, and have some investment. Because I gave up my life for this. 
But nevertheless, it revealed his heart, the heart of a thief, the heart of a betrayer, the heart of greed, of selfishness, of self-centered. And even that masked with a, a pretend care for the poor. Seems like the poor are always getting used, even if it's just as a mask for someone's greed. But hearts are being revealed in this home. On one hand, it's a heart of worship. On another hand, it's a heart of greed. It's a heart of self-centeredness. From two people who knew Jesus intimately. They didn't just meet him on the road coming through. These people knew him. And Judas, three years of apprentice school with him. And then Jesus speaks up in defense. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. Right? And there's some confusion in the original language of what that meant. But what he's saying is, hey, look. She's doing a worthy thing, a gracious thing. And this is a benefit for me. He says, you will always have the poor. Should you really care about them, opportunity will always exist. But you will not always have me, especially in this context. And there's always more money to gather to give to the poor. But what she's doing here is a worship from the heart that I gladly receive And you see the opportunity to worship me like this is running out. And she's taking advantage of that, not taking advantage of the poor. And so Jesus is revealing these hearts and he's playing his cards. And see, salvation, grace is being extended. And we start to see already from Judas that he's starting to push away from the grace that he should have had already. And then meanwhile, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. And so the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to believing in Jesus. Lazarus. If you were online in the, in the Bible study Thursday night, the story of Lazarus. And as I was thinking about this for this Sunday morning, um, I thought about it in a brand new way that I don't think I ever had in the last 53 years. Right? It says Lazarus who had raised from the dead. Uh, maybe from this side, we always think that Lazarus is in this tomb and, and it said he was in there for four days. But where do we think Lazarus was? Lifeless, just locked in a tomb? Jesus will declare in a week to a cross, a man on a cross, a thief, a different thief, who wanted that grace at the last minute and got it. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. But Lazarus... I wonder, four days, like a millennium in paradise, was he already there having appetizers, waiting for the meal, and he heard a voice, Lazarus, not into the grave, but into heaven, come out. Really? Jesus, this bouchette of rocks, 
I'm having appetizers from heaven, and you're calling me to come back? I'm already here. He didn't come out of a lifeless tomb. He came out of, out of a life-filled heaven. Because his friend said, come back. You have more work to be done. He said, I got a cup. I got, I got the dinner plate. I'm waiting. Come back? Well, because you say so. And I don't know if he was with friends or his grandparents or somebody here. Hold my cup. Hold my food. Don't eat it. I'll be back eventually. I'm going. And he comes out of the tomb, not out of the tomb, but he comes back out of heaven. And I wonder, what what questions could people have asked him? Where were you? What did you see? What did you smell? What did you taste? Can you put it to words? He's like, ah, no wonder why people were coming to Jesus. Can you imagine that testimony? Who, who 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 can go against it? And then the plot to kill him. Really? What an empty threat. I've already been dead. I've already come back out of the tomb. I already have tasted resurrection. You're going to kill me? I got someone holding a plate waiting for me. Whatever. But Jesus, the Lord God Almighty in the flesh, and he came back to his sisters, back to his town, back to a testimony to share in his inner circle. I wish, I wish we had more of that dialogue. I can only imagine. And then they were done with this meal. And we're going to look at this last house so briefly. We turn to the book of Mark, chapter 11. Right, finally Palm Sunday. He's already made all the arrangements to find this cult. It's already done. It's brought back to him. That when they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw cloaks over it, right? A makeshift saddle. And he sat on it. And many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread branches they had cut from the fields. You see, Jesus is getting the red carpet treatment. They didn't have many clothes. They didn't have extras. So to to throw your cloak on the dirty road, no one's going to do that. You're not going to do that for your family. You're not going to do that for your friends. You're going to do that for royalty, though. And then they go out to find branches, whether they were palm branches or whatever, corn stalk they could cut down or whatever it was to fill the road so he could walk in on this red carpet and come into town like royalty. And as they had laid out the red carpet, then they turned to declarations for a king walking on the red carpet, riding on the red carpet. Those who went ahead of them followed and shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven! They're making a declaration of who Jesus is as king and rightful heir to the throne has come with worship. We welcome him in. And that's the backdrop that Mark is recording. The shouts of praise that echo from Psalm 118. The expectation they had of the coming king, they're declaring, this is the one, this is Jesus, has come. And so they acknowledge him and he comes into town. 
And then it's interesting. We don't have the details of this, and Mark gives us this clue unlike the other Gospels. It says, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. And I, in my active imagination, right, I think that scene that was loud and so de- declaration-filled, maybe when they got into town and started to work their way through, they realized it was late, and they went to go get dinner, and maybe it filtered down to just Jesus and the Twelve coming to Jesus' house. It says, when he went to the temple courts, he looked around at everything, but since it was already late. You see, when he finally got to the temple, it was late. Things were closed down, I dare bet. People were off to find a meal. And, and I just picture Jesus says, as he looked around. Most visitors would be in awe of the temple. He'd seen it before. But here Jesus comes home. Home. And he looked around. I don't know what he looked at. I wonder. In his mind, did he remember about the stories his mom would have told him as an eight-day-old child coming to be dedicated? The things that Mary treasured in her heart, did he recollect those? Did he remember when he was 12 and his parents forgot him and left him there and he had answers that blew away the teachers? Did he remember? Did he remember the past three years of teaching there, out in the open, saying nothing hidden, all in front of the people? Did he sit there in silence on this side of the veil, knowing that he has been on the other side of the veil, and that in just a few short days that veil would be torn, and God would no longer be kept behind the curtain? But here he stood in this regard, in this way, on the other side of the veil. His home. Memories. Anticipation of what could have, should have, would have been. I remember just three and a half, four years ago, my, my parents sold our family home. And they moved to Reno. And I remember later that day, the, the vans moved, the, everything was gone, the house was empty. I still had a key. And later that, that afternoon, before evening, I, I went in to my empty home. I walked through the hallway. I walked through the rooms. I walked through the dining room. I remembered. I remembered Christmases past, birthdays, celebrations, awesome meals. My mom can cook like nobody's business. And I remembered what was, because it will never be again like that. You see, it was late, and Jesus looked around. And before he left for Bethany with the twelve, I wonder, did he see the tables with scales on them, maybe covered with a cloth? Were there animals to be sold the next day in cages covered? Of what should have smelt like the perfume of the home he just left now smelt like a barn. And I wonder if a righteous indignation started to well up. Because the way we read it here, it seems anticlimactic. But I think as he walked back home, I think that started to well up into him. Because he knew he would be back tomorrow on Monday, and it would be vastly different. 
because hearts would be revealed that next day that did not, did not resonate with the kingdom. It did not resonate with his message, and he would deal with it then. But for now, like the ultimate cliffhanger, he goes back to his friend's house. And so I would just challenge us in light of this, right? I, I'm hoping that as you've had time with Jesus, over the years, over the time, in the context you have, I, I pray that you have received that grace. I know many, most of us have. But that grace still comes. That grace would be on full display on Friday. And then seen like never before that following Sunday. But see, home is where the hearts are revealed. Have you let Jesus come to your home? Have a meal? Have a conversation? What's the condition of our hearts? Maybe it's for salvation for the first time, or maybe it's just for a reminder of, hey, our priorities need to be right. Like Mary, willing to, with abandon, just let it all go and just worship him and not worry about tomorrow. Because tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you for your grace that came. I thank you that you, you came to seek and to save that, that which was lost. That you knock on the doors of homes. I pray that people would open and let you in. God, that we would let you in with a heart of worship, a heart of reverence, a heart of change, a heart willing to make things right, a heart that would align with kingdom principles, even though we struggle with sin. Then we know that one day there is a new home you are building with rooms for everyone and a meal that I can't wait to have. God, I pray that our hearts would be aching and longing for that and to reach our inner circles because there's plenty of room at the end. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.